Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're good. We're having some technical issues still with the signal, so I do apologise for that. I noticed that the intro is meant to be a 20-seconder and it ends up being more like 30. That tells me there's something wrong with the signal. But it does seem to stabilise into these streams, so hopefully you stay with us and do forgive us a bit of a technical issue. We've got a great guest on. I'm going to introduce Pip White in a second and uh, someone I've been wanting to speak to on a few different issues over the years, and so I've been pleased to get her onto this show, hopefully the start of many conversations we can have publicly because I think there's so many important ways in which shining a light on some of her work, not just specifically, specifically in the topic that we'll discuss today with regards to prescriptions and medicines, etc., but also just the way in which her activism, for want of a better word, or influencing policy has been a, a massive inspiration to me and to many others. And so it's just going to be great to pick her brain on a few different things. Um, many thanks for those of you that have been tuning in on a regular basis and for those that tuned in last night for a special broadcast announcing some of our work on Therapy Live and Physio Matters and how we're bringing that together under our membership community. So do, do check that out if you haven't already and have a look at the Therapy Live website, therapy-live.co.uk. Really, pr really proud of that. And also gives us a lot more creative control over how we can deliver those events in the future. Final little announcement from me before we get stuck in is that MSKR have got an event about advanced practice and first contact, as well as a bit of a birthday celebration on Friday. You can get tickets for that last few last call for tickets um, for that event on Friday evening, in which we're going to be a great panel discussion that's going to be had around one of the hottest topics in the game. Uh, so, so something maybe I could, uh, if I've got time, I might pick uh, Pip's brain. I'm sure she's got plenty of uh, opinions in that direction too. But without further ado let me bring in Pip White hopefully this works smoothly Pip can you hear us I can hear you hi Jack fantastic thank you very much now where, where I want to start because I, I mean the, I managed to uh managed to grab you onto the show especially to talk about the consultation that's incredibly relevant at the moment but we're actually going to try and end there because I think it's smart to put it in its appropriate context so can you tell the listeners a little bit sorry the viewers uh, a little bit about your background in, in how you've come to the role that you're in now Oh, yes. Well, I've been working at the CSP for a very long time now. It's well over 10 years. And I came to the role at the CSP because I felt that my own particular blend of skills and experience, I much, was much more focused around practice, but not necessarily at the individual um, clinical patient level, although I do still practice clinically. But it was much more at that wider um, system and professional uh, level area. So I've been at the CSP for many years and had a variety of, um, of roles. But over the last 10 years, I've been particularly involved in medicines and prescribing and been uh, supporting the profession in our whole quest to increasing the range of rights and responsibilities that we have, which uh, has culminated in having independent prescribing in 2013, uh, and now the journey that we've got to uh, increase controlled drug prescribing. So it's been it's been quite quite interesting. I have a portfolio career, so I, I work at the CSP, uh, but I still practice clinically as well. So I still have that link to direct patient facing care as well. So it gives it that reality that whatever I do in my job at the CSP. When, I, um, when I'm with a patient, whether that's face-to-face -face or virtually, it still keeps it very real and alive for me. And so we're going to be focusing in and around that medicines uh, side of things, of which I, I would argue you're, you're most famed, best known in many ways. But also as a, pro a professional advisor, how much does the, the, that particular special interest of which you're, you've been doing a lot of work and a lot of focus and some great outcomes, of course, which we'll, which we'll talk about, how much does that balance with the day-to-day -day role of the professor, professional advisors needing to advise more broadly and how 
focused is that? Is that just MSK, for example, or does no? It go it's wide? A, it's across the spectrum, and I think the one of one of the the best things about my job as a professional advisor is that every day I will have direct contact with members in their everyday practice, and that is across the breadth and depth of the profession in every sector and setting. So whilst my background is predominantly MSK, I have practiced in respiratory, I have practiced in neuro, and can still understand that language. And within my colleagues, we've got that breadth of practice across the whole of the profession. And we are registered physios, so we do understand uh, what members are often experiencing. And that's one of the things that I find when I talk to members and I introduce myself, I'll say I am a professional advisor and I am also a practicing physio. And that often gives a lot of reassurance that members are talking to someone who uh, has treated patients and it does make a very big difference to how we can help and support members with, with whatever issues they're facing. Now I can imagine that would be reassuring and also sometimes you can, I often, I overuse this term, but you can start the conversation in second, third, fourth mm. gear, you know, always mm. have to set the scene, um, mm. which even for someone that might be in an organisation but not necessarily ever had that, that real world job and experience, mm. it, it can make a difference. How, what's the balance then on a typical working week between you doing general professional advisorship stuff? I mean, on, on, I don't mm. necessarily need to know the particulars on pro rata but i mean on your csp role how much of it is that and how much of it is the specialized medicine stuff uh it's probably about well medicines is a small proportion of my overall work that put you know that that's a small proportion of work but that is absolutely core and fundamental and medicines and prescribing is business as usual work at the csp it's fundamental to what we do um so so that runs through my specialist project areas are around hip fracture rehabilitation uh, that's a particular project that links in with community rehab and i also help with a team of others look after the um, professional indemnity scheme again that is a core business as usual activity of the CSP and then there's a professional advice service so it's it's a blended approach um, but medicines is front and foremost at the moment because we're at an absolute um, critical point in what's been a, a very long and very bumpy road over the years. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I forgot to say, and usually I manage to remember to in the intro, if anyone's got any questions, if they're tuning in live, then please do put them into comments and questions we will try and get to. And if not in the stream, then we'll be able to feed that in, no doubt, especially if you if you remember, and we can take that up in the proper channels, of course, but yeah. just generally speaking, if you feel that you want us to, if you've got any questions that will be better than mine, then do post them in the comments <laughs> if you're live. So one of my first ones is, how did it come about? In the, I'm interested in the, I definitely won't have been even in the game when this was first being floated. Mm. And so it's kind of interesting for me having watched it emerge and then become quite a, a staple part of especially advanced practice is, is independent prescribing. Mm. And although I don't, I mean, I'm an, in, I'm an injector under a PGD and there's some relevance there, but also work shoulder to shoulder with prescribing clinicians now. And it's become the water in which we swim, mm. but it wasn't always that way. And in, in recent memory, it wasn't. So how did that first come about is that we started to think physiotherapists should be able to do this. Yeah, well, it, it's actually something that I remember very, very clearly. And it was back in 2007. I was quite new at the CSP uh, with the professional advice service. And a question came in from a pharmacist in the northeast of England about physios using PGDs for injection therapy. And at that time, I, ha I had no idea what he was on about at all. But my particular style of learning is always go back and look at the first principles and, and find out what, what's going on. And so that started my journey into sort of reading laws and regulations. 
and realising back in 2007 that there was a difficulty with using patient group directions with injection therapy. And that's what started um, my work with the Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Agency uh, to investigate this further because the MHRA are the uh, regulatory authority for medicines and realising that there was a problem with legislation that was at that time inhibiting not only physiotherapy practice but practice of other professional groups and that's what snowballed the work of how do you get legislative reform to enable clinical practice. So it started back in 2007, uh, investigating a problem around patient group directions, and then flowed on, in, uh, flowed on to work with the, the time the Department of Health that was looking at the whole issue of uh, supply and administration and prescribing of medicines by a variety of AHP groups. And that's when work started to investigate uh, extending prescribing rights. So it really, really all started from somebody paying attention to the small print and then people realizing we have an issue here. What can we do to solve it? So finding that way through a problem rather than just saying you can't solve it. So that's how it went on. And then we've gone through uh, independent prescribing and then controlled drugs. And now we're coming back again to update it. So it's just a continuous journey that's been uh, very occupying for coming up to now 12, 13 years of my career. Absolutely. No, it's been, and, and you've really trailblazed. And one of the things I said in the intro there is you've been a big inspiration, not just on the specifics of this, but also just the way in which you've charted a path to true change. Um, I'm forever peddling the language of reform. Um, and and they, uh, something I learned fairly quickly is that it needs to be multifaceted and, and certainly well balanced. And we can't be naive in thinking just shaking our fist loud and, and shouting loudly enough is is appropriate, even if on first principles, it feels like a just thing mm. to do. Um, and so I want to sort of talk to you a little bit about that in that. How did you come to was there a, a moment in which you realized just how um, say say once once that first principles piece had been had been placed there and you were thinking because uh, i try to think in similar terms really in that you can think that it would be it would be fair and in a patient's best interest and in the betterment of our ability to exert influence as a profession if we were to be able to under the right mm. standards and, and safety prescribe medications why would we not uh, mm. be able to do that and so but then as you as you'll have uh, picked away at that and wondered what are the barriers and challenges to it, it will have no doubt unveiled more and more educational standards, you know, why, how we can make sure that there's an excellent standard that's made, not just in terms of safety, but aspiring to be better and to, to match up. How do we measure that against medical colleagues, etc.? the governance, the politics. I'm just interested as to how those layers emerged and and, and why none of those things seem to deter you. <laughs> because many, <laughs> many, many, don't, many don't bother. I bore I people with this stuff all the time and they're like, no, I'm not bothered about that layer. I think it's because I really like a challenge really. And then once I've got my teeth into something, I simply won't give up. Right. Uh, I, think, I think I have to take a, a layered approach. Uh, and I always look at things as what, what's the... The fundamental thing to change with this is, is when it comes to medicines, you ultimately have to change the law of the land. And until you can achieve that, you can't really do anything else. Or if you if you start from the other end, you won't have any impact because you haven't changed the fundamental thing. And I think the, the thing that is really helpful for me is when you're looking at changing the law, you have this real understanding that you are changing something written down that affects every single aspect of every single citizen's um, life. Uh, and so 
it has to fit everything and patient safety has to be paramount. So when you're looking at medicines, you can't really take the approach that this is an approach that is suitable for the profession because we are just one part of society. What the way you have to look at it is that I am doing this for patients because we can all be a patient and that is something that you know patients are um, part of the whole of society. And so when you start looking at it through the lens of a patient, how will this be better for patients? How will this be safe? You've then got a lever where you can work up the case of every, everything else. So the way we've, we've been successful with this is to say this is about patients making patients uh, have a better experience of a healthcare system, giving them effective care, and then using resources that's done in a safe and effective way with the right governance. And when you look at it through a different lens of patient first, it then becomes so much easier. But if you look at it through the lens of profession first, you come up against those barriers of actually it's not really about us, it's about patients. So it's just reframing how you look at something to get the result that you want. And then you can argue actually we do need this change in, a, in the law that affects everybody because everybody could be a patient and all patients should have equitable access to services and that makes it more manageable. Absolutely yeah I mean I've some of the sometimes it's it's got me into hot water but more often than not out of trouble that I've been articulating that that we've got to remember that realistically to peddle what might be in the better interests of a profession if it doesn't then carry with it the patient-centeredness that, that you're describing then actually then we're becoming almost tribal with regards to what mm. we're trying to achieve and and so there's some examples such as what you're describing where it's in the best interest of the patient for the profession to extend its scope and license etc in such mm. a way but then i suppose where where i have i've made the comments and the analogy to say that sometimes people would suggest if you put political party ahead of countries because the, the argument that people have is that well if the if we can strengthen the party then the party can do more for the country mm. is that you've always got this back-end excuse whereas with the professional stuff it's kind of that sometimes exposing and, and admitting to shortcomings or faults sometimes within individual professions etc can then mean that if it might not be in that immediate best interest of the profession but also for strengthening safety and governance and aspiring to excellence then it may well be might not be but it may well be that that's what's in the best interest of the mm. patient and so it's absolutely right and paramount that we keep that in, in mind but then similarly we don't want to use in patients' best interest is like a buzzword or a tool to mm. then get away with whatever it is we fancy. You know, that's something yeah. that we need to always be keeping and holding each other to account for, I imagine, especially on something as serious as this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's always worth remembering that as a profession, we play a role in a wider society. And that's something that I've realized throughout my career is, you know, when I've you know, been a holier clinician, you see the world through the physiotherapy lens. And then as I've developed and, and looked more into sort of healthcare management and leadership, you realize that you have a place within the wider health economy. And then when you take a wider view, you realize that the health economy fits into the wider society as a whole. So it's all about how we fit and how we can influence. And the other interesting thing about medicines reform is that it's apolitical. So over 13 years, we've had um, a number of governments of, a, of, of different colours, but the process of legislative reform is done by Parliament, irrespective of, of who's, in, who's in, the, in the leadership chair. And that's one thing that it's done by a set process that's the same wherever. So it's apolitical, just done in a, in a fair and just way 
to support society. So it doesn't matter what you think about policy or politics, you can still focus on um, promoting the profession and doing the right thing for patients. In that sense, with regards to the sort of civil service department of health and, and the way in which that, that, that works, how, what's your, I'm sure it's been mixed on because it's been mm. plenty of time, but it's like, how much of that do you feel is actually like the, there's an appropriate level of checks and balances or how much of it is bureaucratic and, and sort of stalls progress? What, what's your sort of take um, I think my reflection is, I mean, it is a process and um, I have worked as a civil servant when I worked uh, within the Royal Air Force for many years. So I'm aware that uh, it is a bureaucracy. But on balance, it's the right way to do it because these are uh, permanent changes. Once the legislation is changed, it's there. It's there in perpetuity. So it is absolutely right that it is under scrutiny. Uh, and I, for one, am very happy for that scrutiny because I think it's a dangerous place to be if you're in a position where you think, I have got this absolutely right, because there is always somebody else who can look at what you're doing and saying, have you thought about this? What about that perspective? So although it's taken us a long time, and um, particularly with the, this current work, we've um, been interrupted by some um, quite novel things of uh, general elections, Brexit, coronavirus, you name it. It's all been chucked at us. Yeah. But that's just part of living in a living dynamic world. So all in all, when, when you look back in history and you think how quickly we've achieved what we've achieved from independent prescribing in 2013 to then controlled drugs added in 2015 and now coming back to update those those lists that's been in a very short space of time compared with say other professions where it's taken decades so you've just got to balance it but overall it's it's the right way in the right direction and every meter gained is uh, is an achievement and uh, i'm not going to give up yet absolutely i can tell that yeah tenacity is certainly mm. uh, a word that's associated mm. to you by many i want to know a little bit about and I'm, I'm going to make a mistake here speaking to someone who's legally trained and use probably maybe wrong jargon, but how helpful is a precedent that exists in other professions or examples that you can use to, to, to help to not cut corners at all, but just generally speaking, try to leverage other examples like that? Oh, it's, it's extremely helpful, Jack, because um, that's one of the bases of our legal system is precedent, is once there is a precedent there, that is something that, that can be followed. Um, yes, my legal training maybe just helps me understand the language and um, uh, therefore, you know, help make things a little bit bit clearer. But it was enormously helpful because what the, the professions that came before us were nursing and um, optometry, and then we could we could use those to to demonstrate the benefits that of. Uh, patients have had through nurse prescribing to then apply that to physiotherapy to take our context of how we work with patients um, and for us it's the rehabilitation and using medicines as an adjunct to uh, facilitating good rehabilitation and then build up the case that way so it was enormously helpful for us um, when we went through independent prescribing, we did it with podiatry and then the professions that have come after us, certainly the CSP and the College of Podiatry, we have equally offered help to other professional bodies because it's very much, very much lift as you climb. We've been helped. So it's help other people because ultimately this is about access to good health care for patients in the United Kingdom.
Well, it'd be so hypocritical, wouldn't it, if we're making that base principle case for better patient care, if we pull the ladder up, it'd just be a ridiculous yeah. notion where we'd betrayed our original first principles. So tell us a little bit about this, because I think the, the, the term controlled drugs is certainly beyond me sometimes. You know, it's only when I've spoken to independent prescribers, they're able to give me the categories, etc. So I, mm. I don't know as much about that. But why was that, why was that a different win? Because I, I was just, I mean, I mentioned this to you earlier, I can't help but watch, and uh, I don't know if this is a representative metaphor, but it's like you're watched you sort of you and, and others climb climb up to what looks like a uh, a peak and then a, 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 another mountain emerges so what yeah. why is there a difference there with regards to independent prescribing controlled drugs and then updating the list and category well it, it's really quite interesting and um i did my um healthcare law degree i um, did my dissertation on medicines law and we have henry the eighth to thank for this <laughs> because way back in the 1500s or whenever it was i'm, I'm not a history expert Henry VIII was the monarch that first introduced legislation around medicines and throughout history we have had um, parallel regulation of ordinary substances and then substances that were originally classed as poisons and we still have that today. So controlled drugs are any substance that is known to be particularly dangerous when used in non-therapeutic settings, um, either because of its effect on the body or that its um, ability to be misused or abused. So that's um, you know the class of drugs they're known as controlled drugs, and that can be everything from your heroin, your cocaine, pot, but also a whole range of um, medicines that are used quite legitimately for therapeutic purposes. So. Whilst ordinary medicines are just uh, controlled by one particular piece of legislation, when you have these additional substances, controlled drugs, they have a separate piece of legislation as well. Uh, and so you have to then change that second bit of legislation as well. So even codeine, you can buy it over the counter, it can be legitimately prescribed, but because of how it works and because it's, um, its um, ability to have uh, addiction or dependence or abuse, it has extra controls around it as well. So that's what we're doing this time, is we've had to amend a, sec a second piece of legislation for this particular class of drugs. And so that's why you know, it's, it's another mountain, but, it, but it's right that that mountain is there because as we discussed earlier, this isn't about physiotherapists working in isolation. Yeah. This is about our role in society and we're using products and substances that do have a wider influence over society. So it has to be governed in the right way. Was it always a necessary step to change or could they ever ever occurred concurrently, do you think? Um, it's... <laughs> It, it's managed by different departments within government. So um, right. changes to the controlled drugs have to go through the Home Office and it's a different process and a different committee. And although we can try and align it as much as possible, uh, it does mean linking in with two different parliamentary um, timetables to get it done. So it's, it, it's just knowing who you're working with, which process you have to go through. And then, of course, because it needs... Um, parliamentary time flit, um, fitting into that parliamentary timetable and as everyone will be aware over the last five years there's been rather a lot going on in um, in company GB so, and United Kingdom so uh, it's <laughs> been a very busy schedule but I'm just very very proud that we are we're on that timetable and we are we are there absolutely no fair play um when it comes to the 
controlled drugs aspect of what what because that, that's like you're saying it, it, it's sort of anything that can be misused as well as then you've got more classically you, you considered uh, illegal drugs that are not often seen as therapeutic although of course they all most of which have some mm. more niche uh, therapeutic use in things like ketamine etc mm. the classic example of, of, of something that's used quite quite a lot in many ways in pain management but also it can be abused as a, as a party drug in other ways does it do, is it such that the how do the categories work in that if then control drugs is something that uh physiotherapists are allowed to prescribe once they're appropriately qualified to do so if then there's legislative change that continued over medical marijuana for example or we followed suit in different countries across the world does that come for the ride under that category or is that something that that would another mountain would emerge in front of pit white again <sighs> another mountain would emerge in front of pit white <laughs> again and that i think you know that's that's exactly what has happened with the current consultation right. uh, the, the the approach that's taken with controlled drugs at the moment is it's on a named medicine basis and right. we have to make the case for a particular named medicine and that gets added to the list now what has happened recently has been two things really is clinical practice moves on and new medicines become part of optimal treatment for patients and then concurrently in society what has happened with say tramadol is because of its wider abuse outside of healthcare it then got up classified to a controlled drug which because it wasn't on our list meant we couldn't prescribe it and most recently that's happened with gabapentin and pregabalin so they then fall outside of what we can prescribe and that's why they've come on to this consultation now is we're trying to correct the anomaly of what happens in society as a whole is to make sure that physiotherapist independent prescribers who need to prescribe it for legitimate healthcare benefits will be able to continue to do so for their patients so if something else happens in the future then yes another mountain will will arise and uh, hopefully i'll still be here to go into battle again for, <laughs> for our members hope for all of us you are yeah. absolutely so let's talk a little bit about this reason because I managed to, we, we, the, the timing seemed appropriate for us to discuss mm. this, not just to lay out the context, but also we've got a consultation out that you would like members to participate mm. in. Um, and I want to first know exactly who it is that you, you, you're wanting that to reach. Is it people that have got a particular interest in this? Is it people that are already independent prescribers? You know, what, who, who qualifies for us to send that link out and tell them to participate? All of the above. I mean, this is a public consultation, so it is open to any citizen in the United Kingdom. Ideally, yes, I would love all CSP members who are independent prescribers uh, to respond to the consultation, particularly if I've ever had conversations with you and shared your frustration. Now is the time to get your point of view across. But it is for everybody. So it's all your medical colleagues, all your AHP colleagues, patients, whoever. Um, this is for anybody to, um, to contribute to and the more the better. Well, that's that's something that uh, I've posted the link into the chat functions for wherever you might be getting this. Um, some of them, it's easier to click on than others. If you're getting to this on Instagram, you won't be able to click it, but find it on YouTube or Facebook, etc. And because we're talking, as soon as we're talking about a niche topic on this show, the chat function is far quieter. It's so funny. <laughs> it. So uh, people often, it's a latent response to their musings on this. So I'll feed them back to you as we go. But when um, when when we're engaging with this consultation what is the importance of what would you say you want to hone people in on because sometimes and i make this mistake sometimes is where it's like especially me i'm full of opinions some of them mm. vaguely thought out and others not but what, <laughs> when i'm sat in front of a, a blank screen empty chat box sometimes it's kind of like well 
where do I start or where should I mm. focus my attention? Would you give any sort of tips and tricks as to how to frame this? Yeah, I would really ask people to focus on this is a positive thing. And what we're asking for is please support this change. The change is adding four drugs to our list of controlled drugs. Please use this as an opportunity to say yes. This is not really the right time or place to raise frustrations about what you can't do because that will detract from what we're trying to do, which is a positive change. Uh, I have looked at the consultation. It's really straightforward. There is a lot of tick boxes. So it asks your opinion. Do you think this change should happen? Yes or no. And obviously, I'd encourage everybody to say yes. There, is, uh, there are text boxes where you can back up your reason, but really focus on why this would be good for your patients and good for your work, because this is about supporting this change, not airing any frustration you have over something else. And whilst I would encourage you know, everybody to raise frustrations, because that is right and proper, and it's where we realize that future change might be needed, but this consultation, we need to be razor focused on the fact of we want to add four medicines. We want we want this to be supported. We've made a really, really good case already that's been accepted. And we really want the profession and everyone that we work with and the patients that we help support to support this change. Well, one of the, as, as someone who is a professional devil's advocate and, and mm. often a contrarian, there are certain mm. cer certain moments in which it's not appropriate yeah. to say, oh, yeah, okay, those four is fine, but let me tell you about this other 10. It's mm. just not, yeah. you know, you've got to pick your moments. And, and mm. sometimes I'm not saying I always get that right, of course, but in these instances, you're absolutely right to sort of focus mm. on the attention to detail and also the way in which these things work, which hopefully we've been able to give some context to mm. today. It's relevant that that we go about a process in order to to optimize its likelihood mm. of achieving its goals. You know, it's at yeah. certain moments in which it's not appropriate to to offer that disruption. And so, no, I do I do agree. And hopefully, mm. people will do follow that link, and, and we can share this far and wide. Thank you so much for your time today. We we it's rare for me to keep to time, but on this show we typically do, and we yeah. have done today. So many thanks uh, for joining me. Hopefully, we can chat again about uh, these Absolutely, and other Jack. issues. Yeah. Um, but uh, really do appreciate it. Uh, where do people find a bit more about you? I know you're on on Twitter, for example. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Pip White PT. Very welcome uh, to uh, for new followers. Uh, there is much more information on this consultation on the CSP website, www.csp.org.uk. We have a news item and it's also linked to our medicines and prescribing pages. Fantastic. And if any people have queries, uh, they can contact us at the CSP through all the usual channels. No, and thank you so much for having me, Jack. It's been oh, great. No, no, no. It's, always, it's absolutely brilliant to, to catch up yeah. with you on it. And as, as I've said, and, and I hope this doesn't sound sycophantic and it's just really thank you for all the work you've done not just on this but also as i said being an inspiration to any of us that try and bravely think that we might be able to move the needle when it comes to policy change it mm. really has been you've been a trailblazer on that and we oh. me and others have got a lot to thank you for so oh thank you so much jack that's very kind thank you so much thank okay. you uh, thanks a lot guys and i'll see you tomorrow tomorrow i've got sandy hilton coming on to talk about the u.s election that's a change of pace, isn't it? Ooh. That'll be uh, fraught with challenges. And then on Friday, on Thursday, Brad Neal's going to come on and talk a little bit about threshold concepts, whatever that means. Uh, we've had a back and forth on text. I said, you're going to have to come on the show and tell me a little bit about that. He's been doing some thinking in that direction. So do join us uh, 12.30 till 1 o'clock weekdays on every channel you can think of on social media. But thanks a lot. I'll see you soon.